0: Um there's a, there's a term that's a part of our culture that's, that's a, kind of an interesting term, uh, full disclosure, right? Full disclosure means when you enter in a contract or enter in some kind of agreement that you tell all the stuff that might be hidden that people might not be aware of so that it's a fair agreement, right? Full disclosure means that when you're selling a car in February that you, that you disclose to the potential buyer the air conditioner doesn't work. Because in February, it's not like they're going to turn the air conditioner on, right? Full disclosure is um, when you're selling your house, um, you, you um, list the things that you know are wrong with the house, so it's not a surprise. Even though you've come to live with them, you list those things. That's full disclosure. Um, the, this message is titled Full Disclosure because, uh, to me, it really feels like Peter is saying, okay, look, you need to understand some things. If you're following Jesus, this is what's going to happen. This is what it's going to look like, and you're, you're going to be ready for that. Full disclosure. We're talking about, again, uh, today about suffering. It's three times in the last four weeks in this passage, of, uh, in this letter from, first P- or from Peter uh, to the church in the first century. So if you've got your Bibles, Uh, Take them out. Uh, If you've got the app, feel free to open that up. There'll there'll be some fill in the blanks that you can do if you want to grab a Bible out of the front of the pew in front of you. Um, This is about Peter's. Peter goes on to talk about something that's very important that he's given full disclosure on. He says this Dear friends, dear friends, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of, of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it's time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. In 64 AD, a a fire broke out in the city of Rome that destroyed two-thirds of the city. The fire lasted six days. Initially, they got the fire under control, and then it flared back up and burnt for another three days. So for nine straight days, the city of Rome was consumed by fire. Um, we, we know it historically. We talk about, oh, Nero fiddled while Rome burnt, right? That, you know, that, that's that whole historical context. Historians are kind of split on whether Nero actually um, set the fire or not. Uh, there, there are some that think that he was out of the area and that he couldn't have done it. There are others that said that he set it up so that he could because Nero was a builder, And he liked to build things. And if the city of Rome was destroyed, Nero would be in charge of rebuilding the city. Uh, It was was a crazy thing for for Rome at that point in time. Everyone in Rome, uh, most people in Rome, lost everything in the fire. They lost their homes, they lost their possessions, they lost members of their families. And they were angry. They were, they were a mob that was ready to just riot um, at a moment's notice. Rome needed a scapegoat, and Nero provided one. Nero blamed the fire on this obscure religious sect called Christians. Um, thus, be- the, thus began the persecution of Christians that I mentioned last week. In some of the land that was leveled by fire, Nero built his new palace. And uh, and adjacent to the palace, he built these marvelous gardens that were there. And because Nero had blamed the Christians, Nero rounded up Christians, attached them to poles, covered them with pitch, and lit them on fire so that they could enjoy the gardens at night. Scholars believe that Peter's letter to the church was written in the late 60s AD. The fire from Rome was 64 AD. They rebuilt Rome and the Christian persecution began to start at that point. Hear then these words in light of that historical context when Peter writes, friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. When Peter talks about the fiery ordeal, he's not, that, that's not an exaggeration to say, oh, you're going through some suffering. The readers understood that if they were caught, they could end up in Nero's garden on fire. The fiery ordeal was real. Peter said, look, here's the deal. You're going to be tested to determine whether your faith is real or not. You're going to be tested to find out whether you're the real deal. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood that test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Understand that when you go through suffering, when you go through trials of whatever kind that they are, that that they are there As a test. Maybe uh, it's a test of our faith. Will I still trust God through this time? Will I still maintain that he is good? Will I trust that he can take me through this time? It's a test of what we value or not. Do I value my comfort above everything or do I value my relationship with Jesus? What is it that I love the most? Suffering is a test for that. Uh, It's a test that reveals our faith whether we do indeed believe that God will provide for us, that he will see us through what we're experiencing. And it's an opportunity for us to have our faith refined, to have, uh, to have the, the stuff that's messed up. When we suffer, it purifies our faith, and it puts our, puts our focus on Jesus in a clearer way. So Peter says, don't be surprised when you suffer, Understand that when you follow Jesus, full disclosure, um, you're going to suffer. Don't be surprised. Some things, you know, surprise us and some don't. Um, I don't know if you realize this or not, but Christmas is 66 days away. Now, why are you reacting like that? Right? It's like you're surprised. Oh, Christmas is on December 25th this year. What am I gonna do? Um, it, it's, a, it's a funny thing to me that we get surprised. It's, it's funny when I talk to people about Christmas Eve service, and they say, "Oh, Christmas Eve? That's like the day before Christmas, and you're and you're gonna the church is gonna come together. That's crazy." Don't be surprised. Uh, some things surprise us, some things don't. There's a story that lives in infamy in, uh, with the guys that I played football with in high school. Um, when we get together, when I see those guys when I go to a class reunion, inevitably this story will come up about my high school football career. Um, there, uh, it was a Friday night, we're playing, I, I went to a, a school that had a very good football team. I started for a couple of years, played the offensive line loads of fun. I remember my senior year, um, we were down ready to score a touchdown on this one particular Friday night. I'm I'm there in the middle of the line where we ran a sweep, and I'm in the middle. There's a big pile up of bodies that are there. Uh, Guy uh, goes off, and I I don't know if he scored or not, but uh, one of the players from the opposing team kicked me while I'm down on the ground. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, just a kick. I'm not talking about in a pile-up where you push off, that kind of stuff. This guy kicked me as if he were trying to kick a field goal. So, you know, he he hauled up, and and it it was painful, all right? So much so that, like, I couldn't hardly walk. And so I kind of hobbled off the field. I go to the sideline. There's the coach. And he said, what's going on? And I said, he kicked me, coach. And the coach just kind of went... He kind of had a half smirk on his face, turned to one of the defensive coaches, and, and kind of looked back at me. And I thought, they, they don't understand. This guy, this guy kicked me. Yeah, you know He kicked me. So I said, he kicked me, coach. He kicked me hard. Um, and the coaching staff then started to laugh uh, and said, get back out on the field. A defensive line was there because I was playing offensive line. They all laughed, and um, it, uh, to this day, when I see those guys I played football with, they'll say, Rubel, he kicked me, coach. <laughs> he kicked me hard. Um, you know, um, it's been 43 years ago since that happened in the stadium, and I can honestly tell you, I still don't understand why they, la- I, uh, why they laughed at me. I, I get it. But I was so surprised that on the football field there would be a physical altercation. I know now you can laugh at me as well, right? That, 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 that there would be that kind of thing. Uh, why was I surprised? Because it was uncalled for. The play wasn't even there. I, I, why was I surprised? Because the refs didn't see it, didn't do anything against it. It was against the rules. It was, it It wasn't right. It Why was I surprised? Because it was not anything that I ever considered would happen to me on a football field. Because I'm a nice guy, Rick Rubel, right? Even even though I I was playing, Um, Peter says, Look, don't be surprised. When you're in this game, when you're following Jesus, there's going to be suffering. You're going to experience suffering because of your faith in Jesus, because of your integrity. Because of your character, because of your compassion, because of your work ethic, because of your honesty, because of your kindness, that's not the way that the world lives. And Satan is going to inflict pain because he doesn't want you to act that way. Jesus said, this is John 16, and it's from the Amplified Bible, which, which kind of explains the meaning of the words a little bit greater. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. In the world, you will have tribulation and distress and suffering. But be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. Be ready for suffering. Don't be surprised. Um, understand that when it, happen, when it happens, suffering aligns us with Jesus. When you suffer for the sake of Jesus, you're connected to him in a powerful way. Verse 13 says, Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, You're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Paul said when he wrote to the church in Philippi, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Understand this. When we suffer, we're connected to Jesus in some incredible way. It aligns us with Jesus. And when we suffer, when we're aligned with Jesus and we suffer, we don't suffer alone. We're not out there on an island all by ourselves. We haven't been abandoned. We haven't been forgotten when we suffer. We join with Jesus in that suffering. If we bear his name We will share his pain. Why is that important? Because we somehow in our minds wrongfully equate suffering to an impotent God, to a God who's not powerful. To a God who who doesn't have the ability to change anything, we ask the question, we know the question, if God is really good, if God is really all-powerful, why would he allow pain and suffering on earth? You've heard that question, I've heard it, we've all heard it, we've probably asked it. Following the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut in December of 2012, 20 children, six adults, were left dead. Philip Yancey was invited to go to Newtown to speak to the community, to the parents of the children who had died in that shooting. A number of years ago, Yancey wrote a book, a very, very good book called Where is God When It Hurts? Um, he's written a lot about the problem of suffering. If right now you're going through suffering and you're trying to make sense of it, I would encourage you, go get that book by Yancey, Where is God When It Hurts? Um, he said in the aftermath of the Sandy Hook shooting two things that have been really helpful for me. The first is this. This is a guy who write, writes about the problem of pain, the pr- problem of suffering. He said, he said, there is no good answer to the question of why, um, why God allows suffering. Um, uh, the, when, when we're consumed by pain, when we see people we love suffer, whatever answer we give to that question, it will always feel a little empty. When we're suffering, we're hungry for an answer to that question, but it's not a hunger that can be filled with a fast food meal. It's a hunger that needs this meal that has a lot of complex foods there that can, that can fill us and that, our, that can uh, give nutrition to our bodies in a way that fast food can't. Um, there's not an easy answer to that question. That's a helpful force to know. Because when a friend asks us and talks to us about that, we feel like, oh man, I don't, I don't have a great answer. You know what? There's not a great answer. The, the second thing that Yancey said in light of Sandy Hook that, that, um, that caused me to pause was this. He said, Isn't it interesting that when someone is suffering, that they they don't ask the atheist the question of why suffering exists in the world. They always come to a minister. They always come to the church to ask that question. They don't ask an atheist that question because the atheist's answer can only be, you know what, life is a cruel joke. That's why they're suffering. Suffering exists, too bad for you. Your your child was killed. Sorry about that. That's the way it goes. Your spouse has cancer. Oh, well, that's natural selection for you. You were fired for something, uh, that for standing up for something that you thought was really important. Well, I guess you shouldn't have said anything. You should learn your lesson and not do that, right? You don't go to an atheist. You go to, you go to God to say, God, why, why does that suffering exist? We go to him because he can sustain us through the pain. He can see us through that suffering. He understands better than anyone. He watched his son die a gruesome death on the cross. Peter says, you know what, you're going to suffer. Make sure that you suffer for the right reasons. Verse 15, if you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Peter says, don't suffer because of the bad choices that you make. And then his list is interesting, isn't it? Murder, if you suffer because you kill someone, you deserve it. If you suffer because you steal, you deserve it. If you suffer because you commit some kind of crime, you deserve it. If you suffer because you meddle, that, doesn't it seem like that's just way out of proportion murder or stealing? Meddling. Um, but, but lots of times when we meddle, when we make a mess of people's lives and there's suffering that comes as a result of those broken relationships, um, Peter says, you know what, don't suffer for those things. Suffer for the sake of Christ. Peter says, you know what, check, check it out, figure out why it is that you're suffering. So it begs the question, is, why, why is it that Christians suffer? Uh, sometimes we suffer, like Peter says, because we make terrible, sinful choices. We do stupid stuff. And the result of that is that we suffer because of the consequences of those choices that we've made. I think there's a, a strong case to say, why is it that Christians suffer? Um, it's, sometimes it's so that we can be made stronger and more mature. We only get stronger by dealing with uh, resistance, with pain, with suffering. And so suffering comes to help make us stronger. God doesn't send us the suffering, but he allows the suffering, recognizing, recognizing that we, when we endure through that suffering, we're going to be better uh, on the other side of that. Sometimes I think there's a case biblically uh, why we suffer. Uh, Why do Christians suffer? Because they can handle it. God has said through his word um, that that you you won't experience anything that you can't handle and that God trusts you and trusts in you the ability to hold up under the suffering. And it's important, don't miss this. We will suffer in this world because the world hates Jesus. Um, you know, we don't, we live in this culture. I don't think that we necessarily um, analyze our culture very often. But we live in a pluralistic society here in the U.S., right? It's the great melting pot. That's what we call about it. That's, that's what we call it. Christianity is not a pluralistic um, approach to God. It's an exclusive um, relationship with God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It's, there's an exclusivity that in a pluralistic society puts it at odds with, that, with the rest of society. When we choose to follow Jesus, we say this is the way to have the right kind of relationship with God. It's all about Jesus on the cross. There isn't any other way. This is not you know, many paths to take you to one place. Jesus was clear there's only one way, and it's through him. The world will look at us, and they will um, alienate us as a result of that. When you suffer, it's so important to ask the question, is this suffering the result of God's blessing, that God's doing something good in the midst of this, or is it the natural consequence of the sinful choices that I've made? Sometimes it's the, the first, sometimes it's the latter. Um, you know, when we suffer and we know the end, everything changes. When we can see past what's going on in, in the here and now, all of a sudden the context of suffering takes on a completely different picture. On a a Friday night, a young lady was uh, waiting for her her longtime boyfriend to take her out for dinner. They hadn't set a specific time, but at 6 o'clock, she's ready. She's waiting at home. She's eagerly anticipating the the date that they're going to have together that night. 610 comes, 620 comes, 630 comes, nothing. Finally, at 642, she hears a honk in the driveway. Fighting back her disappointment, she thinks, he didn't even come to the door. What's that about? She heads out to the car, hops in and says, and he says, where do you want to go? She says, I don't care. And she means it. He, he suggests, how about Panera? They have, they have really good bagels there. She thinks his dad manages Panera, so it's clear he isn't interested in spending any money tonight. Besides, what's so special about bagels? They pull away and drive to the restaurant. They go inside and she looks up at the menu and she picks from the pick two menu. He's quiet and she's a little disappointed. He seems distracted, detached. He's not very connected to his emotions, she thinks. Each slurp of her broccoli cheddar drains away her soup as her hope for a wonderful evening Fades. After eating, in the somewhat awkward silence, he asks, Do you want to go to the beach? She thinks, The beach? If you would have told me he wanted to go to the beach, I wouldn't have worn my favorite cardigan sweater. It's going to get sand in it, it'll probably get wet. What a disaster. Could anything else go wrong on this date tonight? But when you know the end, everything changes. Rewind back to the beginning of the evening. She's preparing for this date, and at 6 o'clock, her phone rings. It's her best friend calling her from the mall. She says, guess what? Guess who I just saw at the mall? Your boyfriend is at the jewelry store. I saw him with a ring box. Tonight's the night. You're going to get engaged tonight. Start planning your wedding. She now is so anticipating this night. 6.10 comes, 6.20 comes, 6.30 passes, and she thinks, man, he must be planning something incredibly great tonight. At 6.42, she hears a honk from the driveway, and fighting back her her excitement, she tries not to run to her boyfriend's car. She climbs into the car and sits down. He asks, where do you want to go? She answers, Anywhere anywhere is fine, and she means it. Anywhere will be perfect for what's about to happen. He says, how about Panera? They have really good bagels there. She says, that's perfect. Let's go there. I'm hungry. She thinks his dad manages Panera, so it's clear something special is going to happen at the restaurant. And the bagels are shaped, oh, my goodness, like a ring. Uh, (laughs) They pull away, arrive at the restaurant. As they order, she says, I'll take the pick, too, for as long as we both shall live. (laughs) He's quiet, a sure sign that his mind is filled with the nervous weight of this moment. As she slurps her broccoli cheddar soup, she checks each spoonful for a hidden treasure in the bottom. (laughs) After they finish their meal, he says you want to go to the beach? And she responds, perfect. I love the beach. And she thinks, and I'm even wearing my favorite cardigan sweater. The sun's going to set on the beach in about 30 minutes. Could this night be any more perfect? When you know how the story ends, everything changes. The irritations The obstacles, the suffering, it's all a part of the journey that makes the destination so anticipated and so wonderful when you arrive. How does your story end? You may be in the midst of suffering. How will your story end if you're a follower of Jesus with a resurrection and the most perfect setting that you can imagine? When we remain faithful through the suffering, we will receive a reward. Remaining faithful when you suffer will bring a reward. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Rome. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Make, make no mistake about it. Suffering is not fun. It's, it's not pleasant to go through. But when we can see the end on the other side of the suffering, all of a sudden it's a path that takes us to what we'll finally experience and accomplish. In our, in our staff lunch this week, uh, Courtney shared some, some things uh, when we were having a time of devotions that, that I thought fit so well into today's message. Hear what the writer of Hebrews says. This is uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with perseverance the race of Marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer of, and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer of Hebrews, I, I, in that passage of Scripture, I think it's so powerful because there's this, that we, we get clear instruction, fix your eyes on Jesus. When you're suffering, fix your eyes on Jesus. When you get that diagnosis for that disease, fix your eyes on Jesus. When your relationship is breaking up with somebody that you love, fix your eyes on Jesus. When your financial world is a mess, fix your eyes on Jesus. When you're being persecuted for the sake of Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus. The the thing that stuck out to me when we were talking as a staff about this particular passage was this phrase that's there, if you can put it back up, um, Jesus endured the cross sometimes we miss we miss this whole idea that that Jesus was not excited about the cross it was not like he was going oh yeah good get to go to the cross amen It, it was a horrible thing Jesus endured the cross for the future glory that would happen Jesus endured the cross so that we could be reconciled to God Jesus went through the suffering so that the world could be made right again. When you suffer, fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus endured the cross so that, so that we could experience the joy that was waiting when our world would be made right. When we focus on suffering, we lose sight of the end game. When we focus on the end game, we can endure whatever suffering comes our way. I've thought a lot uh, in, in, in this passage from Peter about suffering and, and just thinking, you know what, uh, um, we may suffer in the U.S. for being followers of Jesus, but it's not nearly at the physical magnitude that it is in other parts of the world right now. There are brothers and sisters of ours in Christ, in the Middle East, in Asia, Um, In Africa, that are being put to death, that are being physically maimed because of their faith in Jesus. How is it, how is it that they endure? How is it that they don't recant their faith? It's because they fix their eyes on Jesus. They see past the suffering, past what what they're experiencing right now. Um, When our first daughter was born, I remember so clearly going through a Lamas class with Deb. You know, anybody do the whole Lamaze thing. You remember those days, all the breathing techniques, all that kind of stuff. I remember, I, I remember being a young guy thinking, man, I've got to learn this stuff. I've got to know all these different stages so that I can help Deb because I know that it's going to be incredibly painful. It's going to be, it's going to be a very difficult thing. I've got to be able to do this, be a partner, hang in there and do it well. You want know to remember from that first um, labor and delivery I remember uh watching the the machines recording each, you know, each uh each contraction, the wave of pain that was coming and um and and Deb just enduring that. Let me just pause for a second and say ladies, thank you for what you go through for uh, us. Uh, uh we're grateful, all right? Um but I re- I remember, you know, the, the the pains off the charts. And I remember taking Deb's face and just grabbing her her chin and looking at her and saying, Deb, look at me. Breathe with me. Look at me. We're going to have a baby. And, and everything would calm down. She would be able to endure the pain as long as she was focused on me. Now the contraction would start, she'd get distracted start to go crazy. Deb, look at me. We're going to have a baby. When we fix our eyes on Jesus... We have the ability to um, to absorb the suffering to endure the suffering because we know what 's on the other side will uh, will be so worth it i i don 't know that I was a very good coach, Lamas coach, but we had six kids, so maybe you know uh, <laughs> maybe we got there Hear hear these words, this passage again, let me just finish with these um These words in the message version of Scripture. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you were in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. If you're abused because of Christ, count yourself fortunate. It's the Spirit of God and His glory in you that brought you to the notice of others. If they're on you because you broke the law or disturbed the peace, that's a different matter. But if it's because you're a Christian, don't give it a second thought. Be proud of the distinguished status reflected in that name. It's judgment time for God's family. We're first in line. If it starts with us, think what it's going to be like for those who refuse God's message if good people barely make it what's in store for the bad so if you find life difficult because you're doing what God said take it in stride trust him he knows what he's doing and he'll keep on doing it let's pray God I thank you for your word for its power to speak to our core Lord, um, you know, you know both services, I look out, I, the, the people who are experiencing pain and suffering are everywhere. This is, this, it's hard for us, God, because it, it's easy for us to focus on the circumstances, on the suffering. God, t- together, collectively, we ask this morning that you would help us to fix our eyes on Jesus that you would help us, God, to see past what we're, what we're experiencing to the end game. Lord, help us, help us to sense your presence, to know that we're not alone, that you're not impotent, that you love us, and that you have great things in store for us. Comfort us, God. Challenge us. Encourage us.